everyone. Welcome back to Reality 2.0. I am Catherine Druckman. And today it's just me and Sean. So I'm talking to Sean Powers. Doc is busy at an event, having a lot of fun, I, I believe, and, and, and uh, coming up with some really cool ideas that I'm sure we will hear about next time. But in the meantime, Sean and I are going to talk about home automation. Open yeah. source home automation. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we're going to have a, a really great show. And oh, don't build it probably, up. <laughs> no, 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 it is. We're going to learn some really cool stuff from Sean, or or that's what I'm going to do. Um, and, you know, it, this fits into our overarching theme of, of privacy and, and user agency, so it's going to be really good. Um, but before we get started, I wanted to take a moment to thank our patrons, people who contribute on Patreon and coffee and I wanted to thank and and I'm I'm only using first names here because <laughs> I'm trying to uh, you know not I, I don't know how, to what extent I want to call people out, uh, seeing as we're privacy nerds here. But thank you to Steve, thank you to GDK, thank you to James, and thank you to Carly. So yeah. there you go. Thank you very much for all to all of those people and to everyone who listens. And um, yeah. Visit us on our was, website. Yeah. Was that Just one of those, like, I don't really know who they are. So like, thanks, chief. Thanks, big guy. Thanks, you. <laughs> <laughs> no, those were real names and or initials. Those was, you know, whatever I have available to me, basically. So, um, so yeah, uh, I, we, we appreciate that. And we appreciate everyone who emails us feedback and comments on our newsletter and subscribes to our newsletter and all of those things. Um, so, yeah. yeah is- so sh- yeah, it's gonna be exciting. So normally when I when I'm on the podcast, I feel like the least privacy focused or privacy educated person. And um I, I learn stuff. This is one of those times where I actually feel like it's a real uh contribution yeah. that fits into the theme of the program because it absolutely yeah. is. Yeah, this is, so. this is a struggle that I think a lot of people have. We want we want the cool home automation. We want uh, maybe we want cameras to monitor the exterior of our house. Maybe we want our lights to come on at a certain time, or perhaps yeah. our coffee maker. I don't know, but um, but cameras. yeah, yeah. I am personally not all that comfortable with some of the big uh, providers of that type of technology. So we didn't even talk about cameras, right? We didn't even talk about yeah, cameras no. beforehand, but that, I, that's something else I recently did. So yeah. um, this might be a full length podcast episode. I know <laughs> this is going to be good stuff. So, so, so Sean, what, you know, the goal here is that Sean is going to give us an overview of, of his system really, uh, but really his experience, how he got here. Um, we want to know it all basically, yeah, so- because this is a, this is an, this provides a really great alternative from the kind of Alexa ring, um, whatever. Right. Yeah. The, the commercially, yeah. The commercially, uh, advertised stuff where the advertisers know that you're looking because they're creepy. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of advertisements for open source alternatives to cloud-based home exactly. automation. Exactly. And there didn't, so, yeah, so- I, yeah. And there, there haven't always been great options either, to be honest. Um, my first foray into home automation was with Samsung smart things. I'm sure you've heard of smart things I because have, yes, I have yeah. a smart things hub myself. Oh, you do. Okay. So I, I, I have three, believe it or not, not because you need more than one in a home, but because I had one for my house and then I had one at my farmhouse and then they don't bridge together. So I had to have a third one out in the actual barn, which was too far away to communicate. I know it was, it was kind of a pain in the butt. Um, and I, I really liked the idea of home automation to save energy, to add convenience. And it, you know, it was new technology and I'm kind of that cutting edge kind of guy. And smart things was the first platform that had an open, platform Mm -hmm. and i mean there's like a thousand asterisks around that right because yeah it's all still cloud-based but they allowed you to import code or write your own code in fact on my github repository i was there the other day and i think there's actually smart things stuff that i coded so or not coded i'm sure i copy and paste it from somebody else because that's how i roll but that's what coding yeah yeah that's what coding is (laughs) but um (laughs) just to make it work with like third-party plug-ons or plug-ons plugins for supported add-ons etc etc anyway uh it worked decently well as but it relies on the cloud in fact almost every one of the home automation platforms relies on cloud-based stuff which 
again, I'm not always privacy first when I'm thinking about things. That wasn't even my biggest concern about my data being in the cloud. Obviously, I have both Alexa apps or both Alexa devices and Google Home devices in my house. So clearly privacy was not a <laughs> forefront <laughs> issue. But the problem is when everything is done in the cloud, if your internet connection goes down, your house doesn't friggin' work. And so there were times where our internet went down and we couldn't get the lights to go on and off, which it's seems like such a silly first world problem. Yeah, I know. So there's, I mean, there's so many things that I, I grew in how I did things better. The first one, that, that was a prime example, right? The, the internet goes down and we can't turn lights on and off is ridiculous. And so whenever I do house lighting now, it's always smart switches, not smart bulbs, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I, I just like dumb old light bulbs, one, because they're cheaper, but two, yeah. because they come with a physical switch. You know, I mean, you can turn them on and off with a switch just like normal, but they also can be controlled uh, programmatically. And so that was, the, that's like, if I had to say a first, not privacy related, but practicality related thing is, um, yeah, have some physical switches. Because also, if you have somebody watching your house, you don't want to have to install an app and log in for them on their phone with your home stuff to turn the lights on and off. Yeah, that's weird. It's, yeah, it's just a matter of where like, oh, look, look at all this convenience we have, <laughs> which is so not convenient in the least. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that's that's the first thing. But um, there's other problems then, too, because a vendor like Samsung really wants you to buy their products. And so guess which which products work best with Samsung smart things? Probably Samsung products. Samsung smart thing products. Exactly. And so um, I really I tried to move away from smart things, but it, it was kind of difficult. And home assist. I mean, there's a couple open source options, right? Like Hubitat, I think. I think that's one of them. I maybe maybe I'm just thinking of my wrong silly play on words, but I'm pretty sure it's called Hubitat. Like it's a hub and a habitat. Hubitat, uh, some open source thing. There's um, uh, there's a couple others, but the big one nowadays is Home Assistant. I mean, th I think everybody's heard of Home Assistant, and it's been around for a very long time. But the past couple of years, it's really gotten amazing, and um, I, I kind of had a falling back in love with Home Assistant. And it turns out that some of the things I appreciate most about it are that everything is local. Um, everything is local. There's no cloud that you have to connect to. And so um, because there's not a specific vendor, all of the smart things, devices, you can connect mm -hmm. directly to Home Assistant. You know, they don't have like a, a platform that they're trying to push, kind of like Roku. I always liked Roku because okay. they don't have uh, their, their streaming, at least they didn't. I mean, it's not like they're competing with Netflix, right? Roku wants to make every platform work. And so if you got if you got a Roku, it wasn't better on one platform than another platform. They were just the, you know, trying to facilitate things. And same thing with Home Assistant, right? There, there's not a Home Assistant line of products that they want you to buy anything they want. They have motivation to make every possible uh, home automation device work. And so that means that it's more compatible than any other platform. It's so cool. So um, yeah, I could talk about uh <laughs> So tell me, okay. So yeah, you, ask you, me a question because I'm just going to talk. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no. So <laughs> once you identified Home Assistant as a, a, yeah. a promising alternative, um, how did you get started? What, what did it take to switch over from the smart things ecosystem to sort of the rule your own uh, yeah, assistant it's tough. So if if you're already in, uh, you know, in an ecosystem, uh, some ecosystems are easier to to migrate from than others. Um, going from smart things to home assistant was honestly pretty difficult. Now, I believe you can actually control smart things hubs with home assistant, but that's I, I, I don't know what that gets you really, because it, it still requires the cloud. It's still the smart things platform. You know, it's just like another hook into controlling it. So that is not what I wanted. Okay. But for me, it was uh, having two platforms active for over a year because okay. as you gradually add. Yeah, your home exactly. I, I no longer added things to to smart things. Uh, I would only add things to home assistant and at one point it felt silly and I was frustrated because 
the automation system in Home Assistant got so much better than smart things that I really wanted to use them for some of the things that smart things was still doing, you know, when I just right. too lazy to switch it over. And the problem, what makes it challenging is um, Z-Wave. I don't know how familiar are, how familiar you are with the different protocols and stuff with home assist or with home automation technology. You know, I there's vaguely only that I've yeah, used so, them. There's Zigbee, Z-Wave, and they, you know, they run, they're different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're two different, very similar, but but different platforms and uh, smart things used both Zigbee and Z-Wave. Um, most of their device, I don't even remember which, I, I think they actually make both types of devices even, but they're kind of a pain to, to migrate. Zigbee okay. devices and Z-Wave devices, you have to like get the instruction manual for the device, which, you know, I'd had it installed for years. I don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And then you have to like look up the process to like put it, like because it's not just a pairing mode like bluetooth it's not like you can just like okay i want to start over so put it in pairing mode and now connect to a new one oh no 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 you have to put it in exclusion mode and the old device has to like relinquish control mm -hmm. okay, and yeah. then once the old hub and if you've lost that old hub so it can't release it so to speak it's possible the new hub can recognize a device trying to uh, get released. It's so bizarre. It's a weird, so, weird uh, set of protocols. So you have two very, so you would have two different scenarios here. A lot of people who maybe who are listening maybe are in the position where you were, where they have an old system and yeah. they want to replace it. They, they are yeah. no longer comfortable or they don't find it convenient or for whatever reason, they want to go all open source. They, you know, want to switch to home assistant but then you have another group of people who maybe are like me um who don't have a lot of automation set up i think the only thing i had on my smart things hub was my lo door lock or something and then i did i don't even use that anymore and anyway um but maybe focusing on uh, a situation where you may have started completely from scratch. Yeah. Let's say you have nothing, no, no smart device, you know, no, nothing automated, no light switches, no cameras, nothing at all. And you're starting from scratch and you've gone to homeassistant.io or whatever it is. I can't remember. And um, yeah. So, so in putting yourself in that position, um, let's talk about just basics. What do you need to get? What would you need to get started? Yeah. So, uh, just to finish off the last complicated, like, oh yeah, unfortunate <laughs> thing. No, no, no it's, it's a good lead in. No, it's a good lead in because even with all of the frustration I had from migrating those devices over, it was still so worth it to be ah, on home okay. assistant. Okay. So That's even, even if you have all these issues that you have to work through, it's still worth it because okay. home assistant as a platform is just so much nicer. And I don't say that just as like an open source enthusiast who like, uh, stick it to the man. Oh my gosh. It's just so nice. And so the interface looks amazing from the, demo it is. Thing. Yeah. The interface is amazing and it, you know, there's apps and there's everything else. Um, so I guess the, from, from the word go, there's a couple different ways you can install it. They, they actually make some devices that they resell. I think like home assistant yellow is coming out on a platform. I, I don't know all, all of the Where new fangled things. Yeah. Like they've sold different versions of hardware with the software pre-installed. Um, okay, uh, but that. that's, you know, that's just so that you get, you know, it's, you know, it's fully supported and you, you know, and you're supporting the developers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I have, I've had it on multiple devices. So when I had both going side-by-side side, smart things and home assistant it was running on an old raspberry pi i think it was a raspberry pi 3 that i had it running okay. on and it worked fine uh when i decided to go all in and do all the difficult heavy lifting to switch everything over i upgraded to an intel nook uh just a it's not a brand new nook but it's a you know fairly powerful it's like an i7 processor on the little nook and everything and i wanted to have enough power so that um as the system grew, I wouldn't worry that I was overtaxing my old Raspberry Pi. You know, sometimes while I love Raspberry Pis, especially like a Raspberry Pi Model 3, uh, th that's so pushing hot. the envelope. <laughs> yeah, and it's really pushing the envelope of how much they can do, right? And so, um, yeah, I went with an Intel Nook. And then, and um, what I really, really, so there's, there's a lot of things I really like, and it's hard for me to pick um, something. Go can ahead. we pause no. just for a second because yes. you just said that magic word? Um, yes. Intel. And I have to put it in here. I have to, to mention that I actually now work for Intel. I am an Intel employee. 
which is very cool. But I need to disclose that in case um, we wax poetic about why Intel Nooks are awesome. But, <laughs> but so before I ask the next question, I wanted to make that very clear. However, yeah, I am actually very interested in what additional capabilities, you know, the Nook would give you over the Raspberry Pi. Um, yeah, yeah, for the like at yeah, what so, point we, we, do you get to the point where you you need that extra that extra capability? Yeah, so for me, I wanted to be able to add third party add ons at some point. And right now I'm not doing a whole lot with it. But I mean, because it's a it's a complete system, you know, I could run my home's DHCP server on it, I could run, you know, lots of services because it's running, it's a it's a Linux operating system, right. And there are uh, third party repositories for plug, you know, additional plugins so that you can control them with the home assistant GUI. I mean, there's, it's a really cool thing. And I wanted to have that, uh, that potential to um, to grow, and also, I mean, to be quite honest, boot time, right? It the the Home Assistant operating system, it's all containerized and stuff, so it, it installs multiple containers on a Dockerized system underneath, and running Docker on a Raspberry Pi, man, it's a slow mm. boot up. But you know, with with Intel Nook, with my Intel Nook, it's you know, it starts right up. It's it's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'm not gonna wax too poetic about intel because then it'll sound like it's an ad and it's not no, it's uh, definitely it's just, not an ad but we would uh, like to know how to get our, our, our get up and running with home system so yeah and that's that it is nice awesome. because it was a <laughs> okay so that's actually that's another good point too so i mean installing it if you install things on if you've installed things on raspberry pi it's not challenging but it's not the same as installing on a regular computer and installing on the intel nook it was you know just like install the you know plug in the USB drive and just click install, 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 and it's, and it's running. So that, that was nice. Um, but home assistant. Okay. So the big aspect for me too, is I had to not lose functionality. And I know you said, start okay. from scratch. Sorry, but that wasn't my experience. It's hard for me just to say, no, yeah, I don't know, that's true. but, but in um, terms of a startup. Yeah. So process. It, I couldn't relevant. lose functionality going from smart things to home assistant. You know, I, I couldn't, my family would not like that a whole lot. <laughs> and while I made yeah, sure that we have, yeah, exactly, exactly. And while we have switches for things, you know, that's great. Um, but my family had grown used to, you know, telling Alexa or telling Google to, you know, turn on the porch light, you know, something silly like that. And if I couldn't do that anymore, uh, they would, they love me, they would be okay, but deep down they would be grumbling, right? And so- and They would keep saying it and nothing would happen. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a couple things. Uh, one, I don't think there's any creepier um, uh, example of cloud-based privacy concerns than, you know, the Google Home or the Alexa devices, right? I mean, they just listen all Ring. the time and it's just creepy. Ring is pretty- Okay. It's kind of okay. an extension of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and so I, I really wanted to make sure they could still verbally say things and have them work. And there is a way. So there, there's this um, add on. It's like Nabu Casa, which seems like it's probably a reference to something that I don't get. Uh, but it's the name of a, a company that the developers of uh, Home Assistant own. You know, that's like their company or whatever. And you pay a certain amount per month and they, automate hooks into uh, the Alexa and the Google Home so that you can use it as a as a direct thing, just like you would with smart things. And it's the kind of thing where you're supporting the developers, but also it's really super easy and convenient. You just literally log in, click OK, and it just works like before. It's still Google and Alexa though, right? I mean, it's still creepy in my in the back of my mind. Okay. And so um, I, I tried using Siri. Uh, you know, the, the third, mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the bastard stepchild of like, mm -hmm. yeah. And I found that it, not only do you not have to pay to integrate it because uh, home assistant integrates with home. What is it? What is it? Home kit, you know, Apple's home oh, kit. Uh -huh. Apple's it integrates smoothly without any, any additional need to do anything. Um, but also then Siri becomes the verbal, you know, interface that works so well and i thought well now i'm gonna have to buy you know apple home, home devices all yeah, yeah home pods for all over the house and so i bought one to start to make okay. sure it was going to work uh but it turns out uh if you're if you're a home that uses apple products siri is in everything so mm -hmm. i never bought another home pod because i don't need it i just talk to my watch or i talk to my phone uh, or i just talk out loud and my watch hears me 
without like needing to get it out or anything. And I can turn lights on and off just by saying, hey, Siri, do something. So it's it's really nice uh, in that it doesn't cost. It's built in if you're an Apple user and have that stuff. But then even better, Apple devices do voice recognition on the device. Right, locally, yeah. Whereas the other ones do not, you know, if, if your internet goes down, Google Home and Alexa will not understand what you're saying and they will not be able to do anything. If your internet goes down, Siri completely understands what you're saying and will send the, the instructions to your local home assistant server without any problem. So all that voice recognition happens on device. It doesn't require the internet. Now, disclaimer, when your internet connection is up, I'm a thousand percent sure it goes to Apple servers. <laughs> There's not a question yes, in my yes, mind. Definitely going there. But um, it doesn't have to. You know, it still works when your internet goes down, and you can still use voice stuff to turn things on and off. And so, yeah, I haven't I haven't gotten rid of the Alexa and the Google Home okay. stuff yet, but we're going to. We don't use it anymore at all. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, it's it's nice to know that 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 is an easy transition to make. Um. So I'm curious. So along the lines of internet connectivity, I'm yeah. curious about a couple of things and, mm -hmm. and also local processing. So one thing is I wondered about your camera setup. I wondered in particular, yes. are you doing any local processing of let's say object recognition? There are various open source packages out there to do that locally. You know, this is a person versus a dog. There's something called frigate I started reading about. I don't know if you you know anything about that. But the other thing is um related to internet connectivity would be web access remotely accessing let's say oh yeah feeds, or uh, i wonder if you could talk a little bit about either or both of those things yeah um i'll start with the web access part because that's a shorter story um the nabu casa thing like where you can pay monthly and they you know will give you google or alexa access to your devices you know where you pay them and they do that for you that also gives you a um a commercial reverse proxy that is very smooth and connects to their uh, mobile app. However, you can also just port forward into your um, home assistant box, you know, on your router, your home router. And that's what I, that's what I've done. I just have a port forwarded into my system and, you know, using the dynamic DNS. And that's what I set the mobile app to connect to. And it works perfectly fine. So you don't have to use any paid stuff to make the remote access work you know to your home assistant it, it it will allow you just you know forward in a port and then connect that way in fact to get a little nerdier i actually use reverse proxy so that i you know don't have to use a weird port and i can use the name and it's secured by ssl and all that kind of stuff um so it's very very possible using just open source tools you don't have to pay for that feature to be able to connect to it remotely from outside your house the video stuff i use uh ubiquity um stuff okay. like all of my all of my video surveillance stuff is all using unify products and my rationale there um is because it doesn't do any cloud processing right you actually you have to have a server um you know i have a they call it like a cloud key or something which is a bit of a misnomer because it's not cloud-based it's you know you're you own the hardware you are the cloud so to speak so all the recording is done locally all of the um, uh, motion detection is done on the cameras or with that local device. And the only cloud connection is they allow you to log into their global reverse proxy system so that you can just, you know, wherever you are, go to unify.com and log in. But that's, you don't have to do that. And they don't store any of your, any of your video or data and they don't, they just don't have access to that. That's all stored on your local hard drive. So that's what I do. And the nice thing about it is Home Assistant, again, they don't have a product line of their own. They want to integrate with everything. And the Unify Protect, the video system, is one of the things that they uh, very clearly integrate with. So um, I recently installed their doorbell. It's a it's just called a G4 doorbell or something. I don't even their, know what it's When called. you say their doorbell, that's uh, Unify. The brand is Unify. So, uh, so the, the company is U -N -I -F -I? Ubiquity. Uh, yeah, the, the company is Ubiquity and their line of that stuff is Unify, U-N-I-F-I, and it's Unify Protect is their video system. 
Okay. So you can find that at ui.com, it looks like. Oh, yeah. That's their, yeah. It used to be ubnt.com. And I think they realized that was kind of a weird um, URL. So, yeah, just ui.com. Okay. Here, here's a, a quick question for you. When I go to, when I did a quick search, I end up on a page that says Unify Video is an obsolete product line. Oh, so yeah, yeah now it's, now it's now? called Unify Protect. Unify Protect. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. They That's just rebranded. Okay, cool. And it's a, if there's a frustration, so with the Unify video, again, I've early adopter, right? So I had, when it was Unify video, I had that you could run the software on your own server. Like they just had an open source software you could run and use your own everything. Um, with Unify Protect, they insist on you using their hardware, which still runs Linux and stuff. Um, but honestly, their hardware is not expensive and it's very convenient. So I, I don't mind that as much. Uh, but anyway, yeah, what I, what I like about it, though, is, you know, it's all done locally and you can do it with other products. I mean, you can, you know, there are other self-hosted video surveillance stuff that doesn't use the cloud like Ring. You know, Ring is horrible. Everything is in the cloud. Um, but there are other products like Unify that, you know, you can do locally. But what I like about it is, uh, like I said, with, with Home Assistant, they don't have a product line of their own. They want to integrate with everything. And so when I installed my doorbell, the Unify doorbell, now, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, in Home Assistant, I have a fancy motion detection device that I can use for any sort of automation I want uh, that is outside of Unify. I mean, Unify uses motion detection so that they then start recording, right? And, you know, they have like two-way audio and all that sort of stuff. But because uh, integration with Home Assistant gives you access to those sensors, now, when it detects motion, I can automatically turn the porch light on or I can do all sorts of any, you know, anything with automation. It has, I think it has a temperature sensor. So I can use that to see what, what the temperature is like outside. And all of those uh, sensors that would normally be proprietary to the doorbell manufacturer are now opened up so that I can use them for other things in Home Assistant. So I really, really like that. That is cool. What kind of storage do you use with that? So it comes with, uh, again, they have a unit, the, the cloud key gen two or whatever yeah. it comes Is with. A, yeah. Yeah. That's what I have. I have one in my house and I have one out at my farm, uh, for the same exact things, video surveillance. It also, that device also uh, works as the controller for your Unify network. If you use Unify networking stuff, which a lot of network geeks like that stuff because it's affordable but really high performance anyway that's that's another whole episode uh but uh -huh. uh, it comes i think it comes with like a five terabyte drive it's uh mm -hmm. it's not amazing i mean it's two and a half inch spinning media drive so it's uh maybe a little sluggish when you're trying to like retrieve you know recorded video but it's it's usable it's workable and it seems to work i've had it running for years without any any issues so um, it's all contained. And I think you could probably replace the drive if it fails. I've never had to do that. But if I did, I'd probably replace it with an SSD if it was like a one that's designed for lots of reading and writing. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's it's really nice to integrate with Home Assistant, though, because I, I can open up my dashboard, my Home Assistant dashboard, and I get a glimpse of, you know, it, get, it shows me a screenshot of the current my front porch and any other video cameras that I happen to have connected, it will just show me a quick snapshot so I can get a quick view of everything without opening up a second app. Do you use any of the, the features, the energy efficiency kind of monitoring? Um, I noticed that that is a thing in Home Assistant and I wondered if that's something that you use. It is, that's fairly new and I'm ashamed to admit, no, I actually have um, connected to my, um, uh, my circuit box, my my circuit breaker panel in the basement, like where the power comes into the house. I have a Z-Wave device that detects incoming and outgoing. Uh, well, I mean, it, it would detect outgoing. I don't have solar panels built into like cell to the grid or anything, but it detects um, current. And I have that's one of the devices I have not moved over to Home Assistant. Oh, so it's sitting go. down there it's doing nothing. on the wish list. Yeah, it is because <laughs> I have it and it's running still talk. It's, you know, trying to send data to a smart things hub that doesn't exist anymore because oh, I used to, funny. I used to monitor that and it, it just shows daily usage. It It's not per circuit. The one I have is not per circuit. It's just okay. the, the entire home. Uh, but yeah, they added that recently and it integrates of course, with lots of different products that will allow you to track your usage. And if you have like solar panels or windmill or whatever, you know, 
production and potentially storage if you have batteries. Again, all integrated into one thing so that you can trigger various things based on that. Let's say you're cooling your home with an air conditioner that's connected to your smart thing and you notice your battery is getting low. Maybe you turn the air conditioner, you know, temperature up a little so you don't suck out the remaining batteries that you have if you don't want to, you know, use grid power. It, there's just the automations are really um, easy to configure and they allow you to do things that uh, you would normally have to do manually like, oh, uh, we seem to be using a lot of electricity today. Maybe I could, you know, turn the, yeah. the temperature. Well, just have home assistant do that automatically you know it's, yeah. it's uh, if you hit a certain threshold just you know. exactly or you know a combination of things like you know i have lots of temperature sensors you know if i notice that it's 98 degrees outside uh maybe i don't make the the air conditioner keep it at 60 in the house you know? yeah that's probably <laughs> a bad idea yeah you know it's it, so power in in texas anyway power used to be pretty cheap you used the the markets were very competitive and you could get yeah. really good deals and so people you know i i I think I personally, I didn't pay as much attention as I probably should have um, because it wasn't all that expensive. And now that ship has sailed and, yeah. you know, and, and it's, it's depending on what part of the country you're in, um, in the U S it can be very, very expensive. And now seems like a pretty great time to investigate uh, some home, home automation for energy efficiency. Yeah. I mean, we were talking to, you and I were talking to a, another a mutual friend who yeah, we won't shocked. call out. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was 50 cents a kilowatt it. hour. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's just unbearable. I think I pay about 13 these days, but. Um, yeah. That's about what I pay in, in town here is about 13. And it's pretty consistent. I, I don't think mine varies. Whereas you, I mean, Texas is a different beast as far as like rates go. You can yeah. lock in rates. Most or people you can, I think are way higher than that. A lot of people are paying like more like 25 cents. I just locked in a really low rate. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's the, you know, it, it's almost like DevOps for the real world, right? Because yeah. <laughs> using these automation things based on, you know, based on data, you can make automated decisions. And it, I really, really like that. And the more and more uh, things I add to Home Assistant, one, the more I'm happy that I got a real box to install it on, you know, so I'm not overwhelming a uh, tiny little Raspberry Pi. Uh, so I'm not worried that I'm overwhelming my uh, you know, my nook with all of these things that I'm adding, like processing video and, and all that sort of thing. Um, but also it just makes, it, it's kind of like the, what I always pictured a, a home automation thing would be, right? Uh, gets out of your way and adds value, you know, and, and yeah. some of my, so the question that you asked me to answer at the very beginning, and I just avoided for some reason, because I'm a jerk, um, you know, when you're when you're first starting, you know, if you if you just install Home Assistant, what what value can you get from that? And for me, one of the most valuable and incredibly simple things I do is in our kitchen, we have there's probably five light circuits. Um, I have um, the Philips Hue strip that goes around right. this like recess in the ceiling, and then I have a couple Philips Hue bulbs that are screwed in to the ceiling, and um, I just, I literally right now, I've just taped the power switch on for those because this was before I went to my whole switches, not light bulbs. Thing. Um, uh -huh. And there are, you know, there's like a switch that controls like some down lights in a different part of the kitchen. And my kitchen's not that big, but apparently I have lots of different lights there. And like, there's a light above the coffee machine. All of those things are now part of an automation that is tied to a motion detection device, which is something that carried over from smart, the smart things kit that I bought originally included like, uh, like, oh, a motion detector and a detection device and oh, this and oh, that. And that has been an incredibly powerful um, home automation that everybody in my family has just now gotten used to when you walk into the kitchen, all the lights slowly, not slowly, but they fade up really nicely. So it's not just a harsh like click, they're all on, they fade up which doesn't seem like a big deal until you see it happen and it feels magical. <laughs> and so you walk in and then just the lights come up. And then when there's no motion for 20 minutes, the lights go off. And I also made a condition so that when it's nighttime and it's like, you know, there's not light coming in from outside, um, it's kind of darker that one of the switches has a really harsh downlight, you know, that if you want to see clearly in the daytime, you want that to come on to like illuminate things. But at night, if you turn on those lights, it's like, holy cow, you know, I, it's so bright. And so once I have it timed to the sun, when the sun goes down, 
that light yeah. doesn't automatically turn on. Now, if you want that extra brightness, you just hit the switch, you know, manually because it's tied to a switch. But little things like that have made our home uh, almost the definition of a smart home. You know, it's, it's much more user friendly and it's automatic. We never have to worry about turning the lights off in the kitchen. And my next step is going to be doing that with all of our bathrooms, you know, uh, just they make switches. You know, a lot of people have switches in their bathroom that detect motion and shut them off after a while, but they're kind of dumb. <laughs> and yeah. I want to do other things. I want to have our exhaust fan automatically turn on when the humidity level goes up because my motion oh, detection thing also has a humidity uh, sensor. And so I can turn that switch on when the shower's on. And now, you know, even if you forget to turn that on, it'll turn on until the humidity goes down and then it'll shut itself off. Just things like that are what I think of when I think of smart home. I so. think of things, I, I always, you know, I don't know if I'm, that's just the way my mind works, but I think of like disaster prevention. I think of things like leak detection, you know, if you, Yes, and there detector, are, you know, shut off all the water when you detect uh, leaking, you know, stuff like that is or so at least valuable. notify me. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you, you've been a Both. friend of mine long enough, you know, that my basement has flooded multiple times. And if I would have just bought like a, uh, just a cheap moisture detection device and put it in the basement, right. so I'd get a push notification. Uh, they, they, yeah, oh, yeah and just it's just the, yeah, that's the thing is if you had the sensor to tie it in and they make sensors that are expensive and they make sensors that are cheap and you tie to a, well, it, you can tie it to a 433 megahertz device, which is another whole episode because the RF stuff, instead of Zigbee or Z-Wave, there's like, there is another way that's uh cheaper and nerdier. And, um, anyway. I won't go too deep into depth there, but yeah, you can get a, you can get a water sensor. And if it detects it, it would send me a push notification because last winter, um, a pipe froze and I, it was actually our external spigot, which is supposed to be one of those frost free things, but apparently it wasn't frost free enough because it froze and broke a pipe and I didn't know it. And so our basement flooded. We had like a foot and a half of water in the basement, uh, which put the furnace underwater. So the furnace wasn't working. Our hot water heater was underwater. Obviously the fire was not keeping our hot water warm and it was the middle of winter. And the only way I noticed is because uh, it started leaking out of our basement, uh, like foundation down to the road. We live on a hill and it, we saw it coming down the driveway from seeping through the basement and the whole road was covered in ice that led to our house. It was terrifying. And sure enough, I open the basement door and I hear. Psh. Oh no, that would have been a good time for an automated valve shut off yeah. system. Yeah. Uh, or even a notification. I mean, that's the thing. It had been going, <laughs> I think it had been going a couple days and I didn't notice oh because God. the basement just slowly filled. And it was only when, you know, we saw it out in the road uh, that we didn't notice. Our house had gotten a little chilly, but I mean, it's winter in Northern Michigan that happens. And so, yeah, uh, just a notification was saved so much. Yeah, well, on the to-do list. Yeah. Um, do you, do you do anything that's, that's unusual? Do you have any like weird quirky things that maybe, uh, other people have not thought of that you, that you have automated or I don't know. How's your bird um, <laughs> so yeah, I, and bird cam will actually I'm, I have Unify cameras now that there's a super cheap $29 one that um, I'm going to power with solar out on a on a bird feeder all on its own and it will record motion. I'm actually looking forward to that. I, I hope to have oh, that up by winter. Cool. So, yeah. Oh. Um, as far as other things I do that, that other people really don't, um, I don't, let me let me open up my 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 interface here. I don't think so. I'm pretty um, plain. Really, really quickly while you're doing that, did, did you answer the, the question of are you doing local video processing? I can't remember. Oh, no. The, so um, I am not using a tool. I'm looking at my um, looking at my thing. It looks like, oh, my smoke detectors are uh, connected and they just have battery levels. You know, I mean, they have other things like I could get a notification if they're if it detects CO2, but mm -hmm. it would also go beep, beep, beep. But the yeah. battery notification is nice um, because then I know when the batteries are getting low, but like I have my air conditioner tied to it. Um, but no, as far as video uh, processing goes, Unify does that all. Uh, I, I don't have to, and I, there's probably a plugin for Home Assistant to do like recognition of things, but like my doorbell, I don't have the the um, uh, the option turned on to like detect a person or a dog. 
right, but they right. have that built in. Yeah. I just don't use it. I just want motion. You know, if there's motion, right, I want right, to see right. it. So yeah, makes sense. What is the ongoing maintenance like? Is it pretty simple to keep updated? And um, do you ever do you ever have to get into any kind of troubleshooting nightmares or? Very rarely. the The home assistant developers are very very active it's a very active community there are multiple updates a month and it's a pretty simple like when i log in it tells me if there's an update i click update and it'll automatically update itself you know the containers and the underlying operating system it you know keeps them both updated with just a click which is nice um as far as the the devices themselves uh i've had a couple flaky devices like for example our living room it has a, a light dimmer. Uh, it's it's a lamp dimmer pack. It's like a plugs into the wall and you plug the lamp into it and it dims it based on, you know, just like power or whatever. Um, Sometimes this past week, it was no longer noticed by the Z-Wave network. Like it just said it was dead. And so like unplugged it and plugged it back in thinking that would fix it. And it didn't. But then I went into the Z-Wave, you know, panel for lack of a better word in the in home assistant. And there was a button that said heal network. I literally click, clicked heal network and everything has been fine ever since. That so, I mean, magic. yeah. And that's been once in like the past forever. <laughs> so maintenance easier, is pretty honestly, low. Than, than proprietary uh, home automation systems that I've used. I have used also in the past a wink. Um, ah, okay. Yeah. That's a whole other thing. I know I don't use that anymore. It's basically obsolete at this point, I think. Um, but the, uh, the, where I'm going is remember back, we, we've been around a while, right? In the yeah, sort yeah. of world. And remember back when, using uh the more open alternatives let's say really required you to be an enthusiast a tinkerer a, you yes. know, somebody who was into diy but it seems to me that the home assistant is yeah and this was that, that it competes with proprietary yeah stuff. and and this was that i mean for a very long time you had to edit yaml files when you added devices uh, you know, you had to, and I mean, YAML yeah, files are notorious for deal. indentation and stuff, <laughs> <laughs> but as it's matured and there's more developers and it's, it's so, it's so active that now more and more stuff is just GUI related. Like you used to have to manually write automations with YAML files, but now that's all done with a really nice GUI. Um, there was an awkward like transition rather, phase. I would rather write YAML files. Yeah, because <laughs> and there are things like so. My my preferred method for adding a GUI is when the GUI edits the underlying text files, so that if you want to edit the text files, you can, and it doesn't oh, break anything. Brilliant. Yeah, that's how I like things. And Home Assistant has a weird mix of that. Some of the things edit YAML files. Some of the things have like a system registry, which just smacks of Windows and makes my tummy mm. turn. But um, <laughs> for the most part, it's it's um, pretty easy to maintain. And the the community itself is so active that if you have a specific problem, it's very likely somebody else has already solved it, which I just love about bigger open source projects. Yep, right. I mean, Coming there, from the Drupal yeah. world, yep, a hundred percent. I've never encountered a problem that was unique to me. Yeah, it's so it's so refreshing to be able to find a solution for a really obscure device that I bought from some random website, and not only does somebody else used it, but they've like solved the problem and or written you know code that makes it all of a sudden work. And that's the thing too with Home Assistant because there's so many up updates, they're constantly improving it. Um, I'll install an update and then I'll get a notification. It says, we've detected something on your network. And it's like, they now support this product that was never supported before. And I'm like, oh, well, how cool is that? And so like, I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I, I guess yesterday they now support Nest therm like thermostats, which they hadn't supported Nest because oh, Google okay. was really weird about it. Mm -hmm. But when I clicked on it, it's like for a one-time $5 fee, I'm like, I, I don't care that much. So I, I haven't done that. But Again, it's uh, it's neat that they detect What's things on your $5 network. Fee I don't, for? I don't know. I didn't read. It. I was literally, <laughs> I, gotta, I was I like, look this up. yeah, I, I, I don't know, and I'm sure it's legit. Like I said, they, they're really good about if, if something costs money, they're providing value. You know, it might just be that they have written code that will help Wait, you sync up. Familiar. Okay, so I have a Nest. They changed their. Oh, their API changed their API a couple of years changed, ago. Changed, I want yeah. to say in 2019 or something like that. So you like you can't register a new device, I don't think, with if this and that. I think that's that yeah. sounds familiar. It was when Google bought them. While, but, Shortly yeah. after Google bought them, they made changes to what oh, you could and well, couldn't do. Sense, yeah. Timing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So if you're looking for a, a 
a thermostat that works incredibly well with pretty much everything, Echo B. I'm a big fan oh, of Echo B. Yeah, I have that. Too yeah, at home. yeah, because they integrate perfectly. Because again, they don't have a you know Echo B doesn't have a their own thing, with the exception of some of the Echo Bs have Alexa built in, which is weird. Yeah, I do not uh, have that. I don't understand why that's a thing. Yeah, yeah, it seemed to the one that I bought for the farm. I didn't realize it had Alexa built in, but sure enough, there's a thermostat, and if you say "Hey Alexa," it will answer. It's so bizarre. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's I get it. If you you don't have to have an additional device to talk to your thermostat and tell yeah. it it's too hot in here. <laughs> it's too hot yeah. help. Yeah, but it, yeah. it it's awkward too. It's it's not it's it's like half of an Alexa. <laughs> it's just yeah. uh it's I do, not and quite before I decided I didn't like uh Amazon Echo devices in my house, I used to have an echo dot in the bedroom where I could mm. say, you know, Alexa please turn down the temperature a couple degrees like yeah. in bed. <laughs> that was that's the that was the killer feature right there. Yeah. Um but yeah, that's uh well, cool. What what have we not what have we not talked about? I feel like we've covered it, but you know, without going too in in depth, which would require I think an additional episode. What I'm hopeful it, uh for is that people will uh maybe uh email us with some questions and we can pick this topic up again yeah that would be cool because there's a lot more uh you know to talk about and things like you know i, I just briefly mentioned the rf stuff you know like the very inexpensive mm -hmm. um hardware but you have to have a you know another uh way to interface with it that's that's kind of the the geeky frontier now right like home automation with home assistant is it's like retail ready i mean it, it yeah. just works you know i mean everything is gooey it just works fine but Things like using RF interface devices and using MQTT to send messages back and forth and subscribe to different um, channels on. Yeah, it, it's pretty it can get really geeky, but it doesn't have to to be effective. So, yeah, there's there's so, lots of deep dive stuff, but we won't go there. Here, Here's a, a question I don't think I asked, and that is so I backing up a little bit, I, you know, I think of home automation, I think of you because you, you wrote a lot about it, even back in the Linux journal days. And yeah. you have been a home automation enthusiast for many years. Mm. Um, how many, how many years is it? And how many of those have you used home assistant? Oh, goodness. Um, I used home assistant on and off the whole time. I mean, I, I'm bad with, I mean, there's like the before times and and now, yeah, so it's hard to, no yeah, time doesn't have meaning, but uh, years and years. I mean, you know, I haven't been actively, I wasn't even really active with Linux Journal, you know, at the, at the end of pr the production cycle even. So before that, uh, so it's probably been, uh, I mean, five years ago was the end. So, I mean, probably 10 years ago I started yeah. or something, yeah. you know, using home automation and I used home assistant on and off. Like it's what I always wanted to use, but at first mm -hmm. it was just so difficult. Right. So you've that, seen the evolution into like Oh my goodness, yes. It, featured, it yeah. used to be so difficult that, you know, I mean, I was a I was a Linux geek, right? I mean, I wrote for Linux journal for Pete's sake, but it was the amount of effort for the amount, you know, it, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Yeah. <laughs> you only have so many hours in the day. And yes, and it wasn't something I was passionate about home assistant specifically enough to make it worthwhile but now using anything else seems silly because it's such a great central hub for uh creating automations based on lots of different things and and it has so many hooks into it and out of it and yeah it, it's great so um I, i've seen it i've seen it bad i've seen it good and I, i'm excited about where it is now to the point where i even subscribed for the nabu casa thing even though I wasn't using <laughs> any of the features just because I wanted to support the, uh, the company. Um, I'm actually not right now, truth be told, but um, I want it to succeed because it's such a great platform that has remained open. I mean, it has not been bought and I hope it's never bought out by a company that then only supports, you know, certain things. So if you're thinking about um, diving into Home Assistant, maybe consider buying one of their hardware devices. You know, it supports them and you're guaranteed that it'll work perfectly, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah, this is really great information. Honestly, I went into this just um, for selfish reasons because I wanted to pick your brain about <laughs> home automation because I would like to, you know, I would like 
some security cameras, but I don't want them to be connected to people I don't want them to be connected to. I want yeah. to have full control over my uh, own automation. So uh, yeah, yeah and and I, I suspect other people listening might feel the same way. And I've, and I've done, I mean, you can do things where you connect the individual cameras to Home Assistant too, without a third party thing. You know, I mean, just the uh, RSTP or RTSP, whatever that that URL is, you can connect a direct feed right into Home Assistant. And I think you can even do some motion recording right inside Home Assistant, where again, you're going to want a more powerful device like an Intel Nook. Plug, plug, plug. Hashtag <laughs> I am Intel. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's possible. You can, you can get more, um, you know, open source friendly. I just like the Unify stuff because um, I, I was using that at the farm for notification and, and stuff before Home Assistant was really all that good. I mean, I, I installed the Unify stuff at the farm when we bought it, and that's been, you know, five or six years ago now. So, um, yeah, it, again, it integrates with everything, whether it's a, a third-party company or just an individual camera that you got from Amazon with a really, you know, janky interface that you just want to connect locally, you can do that. That's awesome. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for for um, for sharing all of that. Uh, I am going to pay special attention when I'm doing this transcribing because uh, I don't know. I think I'm I'm in the market for for a little home assistant here. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing all that, and thank you everyone for listening. And please let us know if you have any questions. I suspect Sean might be willing to answer a lot of them. I'm he always around even... to answer questions. Yeah. Maybe we'll see a video series. I don't know what. Maybe it's on my it's on my list of things I want to do on YouTube, but we'll we'll awesome. see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, again, so, only yeah. only so many hours in the day. Yeah, unfortunately, and I got to sleep for so many of them. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> okay, great. Well, until next time, I'm sure uh, I'm sure we will talk to you again soon. Yeah. Thanks again. I appreciate you listening to me pontificate.